Welcome to Soul Driven, a podcast dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for life inspiration, practical how-tos, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, and I am your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us for another Soul Driven interview. These interviews are with people from all walks of life who have discovered their true purpose and are living it out every day. Today, I'm excited to talk about something I'm very passionate about, saving the planet. But as passionate as I can be, today's guest is so passionate that it's become her life purpose to do everything she can to save it, specifically from the destruction of plastic. Bonnie Monteleone is the Director of Science, Research, and Academic Partnerships for Plastic Ocean Project, also known as POP, as well as the Executive Director. She has traveled over 10,000 nautical miles to research plastic in the ocean in some of the world's most remote places on the planet. (laughs) Bonnie, I can't talk, but thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Those those are some big words, including the the name of the nonprofit is Amalfo, so understandably. Yeah, no, and Monteleone. I feel like it's such a fun word. I want to say it many times. I still struggle with it. Makes you feel any better. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. Um, so can you believe this weather? I can't. It's like May and I'm in a turtleneck, which I feel like is crazy. Yeah, I know. In fact, uh, my daughter, Trisha, born on May 20th in upstate New York. I said, Tree, it's going to snow in New York. And she's like, yeah, I did it twice when I was a kid. So it's not uncommon, but we don't like the cold. We are ready. We are ready for the warm weather and bare feet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. And the first question I ask all of my guests, what makes you soul driven? Well, Anna, I'd have to say it's empathy. Uh, I've always had an incredible passion for anything or anyone that is injured and, um, you know, I'm one of those people, someone tells you a story about them stepping on glass or something, and I swear to God, I feel it through my foot, you know? (laughs) So it really is empathy for all living things. I love that. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people too. I I can't handle violent movies or anything of that nature. It's like I can feel whether I'm reading it or watching it, and heaven forbid it's like someone I'm with or someone I'm watching. That's no way. I feel it in my body too. Same here. I can't watch a scary movie. I have to cover my eyes the whole time. I, I just <laughs> don't. <laughs> I just can't do it. I feel it. I get the feels too much. You know? Well, the last scary movie that I saw was um, in high school. And I literally, I swear I had to like pray that one away for about three days. Well, no, I was about two days, but it, it just, that was the last time for me. No, thanks. Yeah. I miss you completely. <laughs> Um, so there's obviously so much that I want to discuss, um, but let's go ahead and start from the beginning. So can you share a little bit of your background with us? Sure, I'd be glad to. You know, we're very fortunate to live in a time where people, and especially women, can reinvent themselves. It was 
a gift given mostly for men and, and even someone that's 60 years old, it's kind of a new phenomena. But I've reinvented myself several times and uh, I went from mother, housewife, restaurant owner to working in a chemistry office at the university to starting my own nonprofit and now actually started getting paid to do what I love. It took 11 years to get there, but that's what I'm doing. And uh, Plastic Ocean Project now has its own facility. We used to operate out of UNCW chemistry department and now we've separated, but we still work together on a lot of research projects. Yeah, you're, you're definitely like one of these women that just kind of blows me away. Um, so let's, I, I'm curious to know like where, where this love for the planet came from. Like, did this happen out of something in your childhood or like, where did, where did this first kind of take place for you in your life? Yeah, I would have to say my mother was a huge influence and though she wasn't a nature lover, she always made these connections to man and nature and how we needed to live symbiotically. And uh, I, will, I will say, my, I think my passion for plastics in the ocean started even back when I was about 12 years old. Uh, she was making dinner and she was unwrapping a package of ground beef. She was peeling off the cellophane top and she flipped the meat into her hand and peeled off the styrofoam bottom. And I wasn't even half paying attention. I was actually looking at my reflection in a metal mail or um, metal bread box. And uh, I overheard her ask this rhetorical question. Where does this stuff go? I hear it stays around for a thousand years. Now that struck me and I didn't even realize how deep that struck me. It took me till I was 48 years old to start trying to find the answer to her question that she pitched that day in my childhood home. Wow, that's a powerful story. And you were 12? I was 12, yeah. Interesting. So did you, like, what did, what did you end up doing in regards to, like, the first part of your life? Did you go to college? Yes. Did you study um, anything in particular? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so my, my undergraduate is actually in communications concentration in journalism. And when I learned about plastic accumulating in the North Pacific, um, I was taking a course, scientific writing. That's really what it, I wanted to do next was become a scientific writer. I had no idea what was in store for me that it would lead me down this path to actually become a researcher myself. Yeah, that's really, so when did you, when were you in journalism? Um, so as I started in 1978 on my journey of getting my undergraduate degree, had a few hiccups along the way, some children. It took me about 10 years to, to finally score my uh, undergraduate degree. I did it in piecemeal. Uh, and when I was 47, I moved here to Wilmington, North Carolina from upstate New York. And uh, when I started working in the chemistry department and I saw this phenomenal science going on and very few people it seemed knew about the work that was going on. So my idea was I could go back to school and become a scientific writer and then I could promote a lot of the research that was going on at UNCW. And so through my coursework, I learned about the plastic in the North Pacific 
and it was through a article that we had to read for an assignment. It was called Plastic Oceans by Susan Casey. Highly recommend it. Um, and it described like this plastic accumulating thousands of miles away from land and the horrible impacts it had on marine life. And of course, my empathy side was gut-wrenched to hear that fish were eating plastics and that animals were getting entangled. We were losing a large population of our marine mammals because they do get caught up in nets and different debris that's made of plastic. And so I decided then that I wanted to do my thesis on plastics accumulating in the ocean. And my thesis question was, if plastic accumulates in the North Pacific, was it happening in the North Atlantic? And that's what sent me on a, a 10,000 nautical mile journey. So I went way beyond going from Hawaii on a 50 foot research vessel uh, for 30 days at sea back to California, and then another five years of research in the North Atlantic. I sailed from Rio de Janeiro to Cape Town, South Africa, the first ever transect in the South Atlantic studying plastics in that environment. And then in 2012, I was invited to join um, Joe Ruxton, who was a former underwater videographer for Blue Planet. She was doing a prep, pet project with other um, uh, BBC um, filmmakers, and it was called A Plastic Ocean. So she invited me to Fiji to bring my surface sampler and then talk about the research that I do. And that is now a full-length documentary that you can watch on Netflix. Yeah, I was just going to ask, because I've seen it on Netflix. So when was this? Um, so that was in, that, actually, that film took five years to produce. And um, so in 2012, I went to see with them in Fiji, and then it was launched in 2017. So what was the impact of the plastic having on the planet all those years ago? Yeah, so even back then, the estimates that we were losing 1 million seabirds and 300,000 marine mammals a year to plastics. And that statistic, unfortunately, has never been able to be looked at again. But I, I will tell you that just with ghost gear alone, so we're talking about plastic nets. So just on those statistics alone, we lose over 300,000 marine mammals to just nets. So that's not talking about the ingestion of plastics or other forms of entanglement. That's them just get caught up in bycatch. So it is a, a huge problem. And in fact, I'm working with someone right now, he's from North Carolina. His name is Michael Fishbach, and he's working on ways that we can change our shipping lanes during different seasons for our whale populations when they migrate. But he said, if we don't solve the plastic problem, then that is kind of moot. So it really is one of, if not the biggest problem in our environment right now, uh, besides climate change. So it's not just the marine animal, animals that are affected, but each and every one of us are now, we're finding um, plastics even in our bloodstream. So it is ubiquitous. And that's why I can't stop working on this problem until we find the direction it needs to go. But I have some good news on that, so. <laughs> um, wow, I don't even, I don't even, I'm like, should we, should we share the good news now? 
<laughs> well, let's see where your questions take me because I can take you down a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah, so I have so many questions. Um, so when did you found Plastic Ocean Project in the midst of this? Yeah, so I defended in uh, May of 2011. And it was amazing because at that time it, it was starting to, like, I call it was the wave. The wave was forming and, and I was on this wave and it have been ever since. People started to get very curious about this issue of marine plastics. And a lot of that has to do with the, um, the man that really was the tipping point. His name is Charles Moore. He's in California. He's the one that uh, made awareness to the North Pacific garbage patch, so to speak. And so after I defended, I was still getting a lot of asks to present, uh, be part of many different projects. And so we decided that it needed a nonprofit. So my very dear friend in New York, uh, Paul Lorenzo, him and I co-founded Plastic Ocean Project in 2012. And we've been going at it ever since. So I have to, was it, I've always been really curious about researchers in regards to being able to go out and research these things, but then also pay bills. <laughs> the practical side of me is always like, how do you get to do this and pay bills? How does that work? Well, you know, when you have a nonprofit, that's some good leverage right there. And more and more, there's a lot of nonprofits popping up. And I think that this is the way uh, the government has figured out that yes, if we have all these nonprofits managing all these social and environmental issues, it's less the government has to pay for. People tend to get the perk of a tax write-off if they donate, and then there's grants, right? So that is how we've been able to be successful, is finding grants that support us. But I have to tell you, Anna, it's amazing how many people donate to Plastic Ocean Project. Like the, the smallest of donations really do add up. So we've had mostly the money coming in from individual donations, as well as family foundations. So we have had family foundations in Texas, in uh, Colorado, New Jersey, like all over the country finding us like we don't even ask them for the money they see what we're doing and they write us checks and checks will come in the mail and say you know we really like what you're doing just give us a report on what you did with this money so that's how we're able to accomplish a lot of what we're doing that's awesome. the other part yeah the other part is you know we're very different than most nonprofits because we do have this leg of doing research so we do work closely with universities, not just UNCW. I was just on a phone call today with folks from Duke. We also work with uh, folks at NC State and uh, even in Oregon, right? So it's one of these research projects because it is global. We can connect with a lot of different groups wanting to answer a lot of the questions about plastic in the ocean and more specifically in our food. Mm. Yeah, I would love to talk about plastics in our food because I think that that's something that I know I've read like, you know, maybe one or two articles and anytime I talk with about it with friends, like people just don't believe that it's happening or that it's real. 
oh, it's real, it's everywhere. It's in the air. I mean, in the air we breathe, the dust that you see floating around in your house is 80% plastic. You know, it's sloughing off of everything from fabrics to, you know, rugs and curtains. So it's, a, it's really important that we start figuring this out and going back to natural fibers. Mm. And that's another awesome story that I could tell you about. So yeah, there's so much good coming down the road. We're going to get over this heavy just so that we get people's attention because it really does have to do with every single one of us. That it's not just in the ocean that it's a problem. Yeah. It's really coming back to us. You know, from this art exhibit, you can probably see my art piece behind me. <laughs> and after I, after I defended, a student in the audience asked me what was I going to do with all the plastic I collected from all over the world. And I said, I don't know, maybe I'll turn it into art, right? So I ended up turning it into uh, art, um, 25 feet of canvases that explaining the problems with plastics in the ocean. So um, there's so many ways we can communicate this story and also letting people know that it's not, oh, the, I'm sorry, this is where I was gonna go with that. So the title of my art is called What Goes Around Comes Around, right? So what we do to the planet, we do to ourselves. And right now we're figuring out that this plastic is so ubiquitous that it's ending up even in our food and in our bloodstream. So hopefully that will wake people up to start rethinking, especially single-use plastics. Yeah, I, the, the plastics. I remember, I think it was, because of course, when I met your daughter, Trisha, and we became friends, and then I learned about pop, and then I started becoming very aware of plastic and trying to live a life without it. And it was just like, holy crap, it's, every, it's in everything. It's everywhere. Um, I feel like that's a side tangent I don't want to go off on just yet. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but so uh, what I wanted to ask you about is the different chapters of pop that are popping up. Because I know that you've got one here in Wilmington through the university. And then I see, I saw from the website, you've just got volunteers everywhere. But like literal chapters, how do, how do the chapters work? What are what are their responsibilities? Well, the chapters, you know, we didn't see that coming when we first started our nonprofit. But it's the same thing as why we're having this conversation today. It's there's others out there that feel they feel that they need to do something to help address this issue. So uh, Plastic Ocean Project, the part that I manage is, you know, the main nonprofit and then we have the chapters so we're starting to get into schools right so uncw was our first chapter and it was because students came to me and said we want to be a part of this how can we do it the university has a lot of chapters for various things so we were able to start one there and in fact they won like so many awards because of the work that those students do so that every year they've gotten the education award. So they get into schools working with children using puppets and different ways to communicate the problem. And then uh, they also got student chapter of the year, the very first year they, they, um, they were part of POP. And then the second one that we just started is at a high school. So Topsil High School has, is now a chapter for Plastic Ocean Project. 
and they're doing amazing work and they're having fun with it. And that's the other thing, you know, we can get very heavy about these problems or we could figure out fun ways to describe it so that we get people engaged. Maybe people that don't have that empathy that we've talked about, but might care in other ways, maybe from a financial aspect. How can we come up with other materials to, to move away from petroleum-based plastics? And so this is how we do it. We start educating each other and finding about what we really care about. And there's so many ways we can take on this issue, whether it's you like to pick up trash because you don't like to see it in the environment, to coming up with new materials. So I'm working with some students right now to grow hemp at the landfill. And our goal is to take this wasteland and turn it into a product uh, for industrial hemp, right? So this isn't for CBD oil. Of course, you wouldn't want to take CBD oil that's grown at the landfill probably. <laughs> but, uh, but the fibers, right? So we can do so many things with the fibers. And one of the things that we're working on is hemp plastic. And of course, we won't just leave it there. We'll study it all the way down to how long does it take to decompose? Is it just as bad as petroplastics? Or can we create a new material that we can still have our single use for certain things, but uh, it will work with nature, that will we'll put nutrients back in the soil instead of toxins, like what plastic does when it breaks up. So really exciting times. I think we're at that pivotal moment and this virus certainly has brought our attention to how much stuff we generate. I mean, you think of all the single use plastics we're using because of this virus. Imagine, um, yeah, imagine having materials that weren't so bad for the environment. Well, and, and the masks, I mean, that's what has been completely freaking me out in the midst of all of this. It's like, A, the disposable masks are not for you know, everyday person's use, like those belong in hospital settings or in, in medical settings. Um, for everyone else, we should be using like, you know, like I just got five different uh, cotton masks, you know, that reusable, we can throw in the washing machine. And um, because I just think, holy crap, all these people, you know, will be using these masks and where will they go? I saw a photo on Facebook uh, someone had taken a picture of this bird's nest and they, the bird used like part of a mask for it. Wow. It just oh, kind of broke my heart. Exactly. Exactly. There, you know, and, and then what are the, what is the bird exposed to from that? I know in my cleanups, I'm picking them up now, you know, it's just so senseless. You wear a mask and then you let it end up in the environment. You know, you breathe on it or whatever. Uh, just, it's pretty tragic, but if we can come up with ways for us to work around the materials that might, you know, if it's disposable, it will actually disintegrate into something more positive. Or like you said, um, you know, make masks. I've seen so many people, you know, just using old material they have laying around their house. And that's really where we need to move. Right? We need to move forward on using what we already have instead of making more waste. What can we do to mitigate the purchase and this constant just buying, using, and disposing? It's very linear. And uh, part of what I'm working on is how do we create a circular economy where those things have a place so they, they stay in a system that the planet can you know, at least accept us managing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um... 
I, my father and uh, my stepmother, like they, they used rags in their house, you know, that they've had for a long time. Um, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're just laying around the house. And so she used them to make masks for them. And I just, I think that that's kind of the way that we need to be going in general. You know, my last business was a retail business. And of course, getting into that and understanding the enormous effect that our buying and shopping habits, you know, have on this planet, it just blew me away. I didn't realize that, you know, fashion, like clothing was one of the top five largest contributors, you know, to the world's pollution and just trash. You know, I didn't realize what buying like cheap shirts at H&M did to like the fashion economies in Africa, you know, all of these things just have so much impact and we already have so much. We have so much. We can just reuse it and, and do something wise with it versus just throw it away. Right. Fast fashion, yeah. you know, between the, the chemical thing. <laughs> too many phones um so between sorry <laughs> it's okay <laughs> live podcasting <laughs> yeah podcast, podcasting yeah okay so where were we out oh, so fast fashions yeah so i we were working on a project unfortunately it had to be canceled because of the pandemic but uh, we were putting challenges out for people to take clothes that they would buy at Goodwill, show a picture of them buying at Goodwill, and then turn it into a new fashion, right? So taking something that's already been made, instead of just wearing it as is, put your own name to it or style to it, right? So I had a student that was working on that. Uh, it was called a trash and show. And we're still gonna do it. We just have to wait till all of this is over. But what a fun opportunity to get people being creative, sewing, maybe so like this student had never sewn before and now she owns a sewing machine and she keeps sending me pictures of stuff that she continues to take old and turn it into something new. So uh, it really is just bringing awareness to how much stuff that we could be using that we're not. So. Yeah, that's fun. I, I mean, in eighth grade, you know, eighth grade, even ninth grade, I like buying new clothes wasn't actually a cool thing. It was always like, let's go to the thrift store. Let's see what we can find. We were all trying to be vintage and, you know, like wear very cool clothes versus buying new things. And I, I feel like somewhere along the way that became like socially unacceptable or something. Like we look down upon that versus there's, you can find incredible incredibly gorgeous things in thrift stores and consignment shops and and not just things I mean like you know our convention oven that we got we got for like five bucks at the the local uh, reach store whatever I mean you know there are just yeah. things that you can buy and they're just fine they're just used yeah Yes, I, and, I, and I think that it's the thrill of the hunt that way as well, right? So it's next level. So instead of going to a store where there's, you know, 20 of them just in different sizes where somebody else could have bought it and now you're wearing the same thing someone else is wearing, what you buy at that thrift store, store is probably going to be very unique and you don't have to really worry about somebody else wearing it at the same event 
which I've had happen, and it's not cool. You want know? <laughs> to talk about not being cool? That is one thing you don't want. <laughs> so let's talk about. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what some of the what some of the like um, materials are that are coming out that are replacing plastics. Like, there's a vegan restaurant here in town that I love and I eat at, and everything I get from them is um, like nothing's plastic. You know, and, and I can feel the difference in regards to like there are, you know, to go containers and whatnot. But I'm just curious about what what's kind of working right now on the market. Yes, uh, we've been working with the uh, new compost company here in town. And that's one of the things that we really want to address is this packaging that has to be able to be compostable. I mean, that has to be the future. And it can be, you know, we're very lucky in this community, we have a commercial compost facility at our landfill. And that means we can put things like napkins and, you know, paper napkins and the uh, cardboard containers into this compost. And because it's a hot compost, it will break down much faster. And then, it, you know, it's compost that we can all use around our landscaping or whatever. So. Uh, that has to be where we go next. And we really have to applaud those businesses that are paying the extra money for that packaging because it's not cheap. Yeah. But the more we all use it, the cheaper it's going to get, right? So the more we support those businesses, like if you go to our website, we have our ocean-friendly establishments. A lot of those establishments have moved away from the styrofoam containers number one, we should never eat or drink out of styrofoam. And so that has to be something that's next that we get rid of, as well as plastic bags. They've been pretty successful with the plastic straw, um, but these are the things that we have to use moving forward. So paper straws, again, they will dissolve into the environment. Um, and these types of packaging that you mentioned are really crucial as we move forward. So what is, what is your role on the day-to-day -day with POP? What is it that, that you spend the majority of your time doing? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, there's, there's not much that I don't do. So for example, <laughs> uh, Trisha will love you, I love hearing this. So uh, we, because now schools have to, you know, figure out ways to teach children using Zoom. Uh, they reached out to Plastic Ocean Project saying, you know, what can you do that we could educate the children? And so we designed a puppet show for children pre-K to third grade. So we actually have puppets that teach children about the different characteristics of these different marine animals. And then they collide into plastic, whether it's they try to eat it or they get entangled in it or balloon. And then we get to talk about how what we use has a direct impact on these animals and what we leave on the beach has an impact on these animals. So really teaching them very young, a little bit of science, they're learning about animals and their different attributes, but also about the impacts of plastics. And so that's just one of the ways we did it. And uh, this week we've been working with a school in Brazil, believe it or not. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it was very cool. And we had so much fun with it. And then yesterday working with the same school with high school students, I was able to set up an experiment in my lab that I could demonstrate. Uh, we were talking about density and plastics have different densities. So not all plastics float 
So we were able to, to design an experiment where they could see the different types of plastics, one through six. You know, when you look at the bottom of a bottle or plastic, it'll have a number. And then that number dictates where it would hang in the water column. Hmm. So I, had, I taught them a little bit. We weighed each type of plastic and I had them write down its uh, weight. And then uh, had them tell me if it would sink or swim. So set up some beakers with seawater and then I would uh, put these plastic pellets in the water and then they would learn about how this plastic acts in the marine environment. And then I had a tank full of different types of plastics that we use day to day. So plastic bags, sporks, forks, and different types of plastic, PVC pipe. And so again, using that same model, having them tell me if it would sink or swim. And what was great about seeing it in the, in the uh, aquarium was the fact that they could actually see with their eyes how the plastics they use every day re reacts in the uh, ocean. And then we talked about the animals that would be impacted by that. So some of the plastics sank to the bottom. We were able to describe how green sea turtles eat seagrasses on the bottom of the ocean. So if there's plastic smothering out those seagrasses, less food available, greater opportunity for them to accidentally ingest those plastics. Plastic bags hang in the water column. They do not float on the surface. So when we talk about whales or you know them looking like jellyfish these plastics are accidentally ingested and then the stuff that floats on the surface we talked about the different species that feed off of the surface including seabirds and how they become in uh, impacted by the plastic so it was a really awesome visual for them to really understand at a higher level about how plastics influence and impact marine life Awesome. So a lot of what you're doing then is, is educating and working with like, you know, different um, schools and are you, um, does pop receive much attention in regards to the media or how, how aware of the plastics do you think that the media are? Uh, a lot. So there's a, a documentary that just came out that's called um, The Story of, of Plastic. And that was with um, The Story of Stuff. It's a really good documentary. I would recommend that along with A Plastic Ocean, the one that I was in. Um, and then also Frontline did an incredible story on recycling and really what a fable it is for the most part and that we really have to stop thinking that the first thing we do with plastic is recycle it. The first thing we do is reduce. We do not use it. We have to try at every level not to use this plastic. And then the second is of course reusing it. We're talking about clothing, right? Well, there's plastic packaging that we can use over and over again. Um, and that really the only things that are being recycled and it isn't even at a great rate is bottles. So your ones and twos. So those are the things that are, are recycled, but everything else is literally ending up in the landfill, in an incinerator, or worse, in the ocean. So mm. not, no bueno. Um, but so when you talk about the media, this would be a great opportunity for me to tell you another great story. So um, I, as I mentioned, I traveled 10,000 nautical miles looking at this plastic problem, and most specifically in the North Atlantic. 
And what I learned from that research on plastic is that we have some very unique characteristics to the North Atlantic that is really underserved and undertold. And one is sargassum. So sargassum is an essential fish habitat. It's a, a brown floating algae that a lot of our juvenile fish and sea turtles rely on. So as they're trying to grow bigger, they go out to the sargassum and they feed on the microbials and the different species that live in the sargassum. And this is algae? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's, it's very healthy for the ocean. And then also the larger fish feed upon the little fish that are feeding off of this. So it's called an essential fish habitat. It is a necessary habitat in order to keep the populations going for all of the marine life in the North Atlantic. And so what really came to my attention was the fact that this plastic will get caught up in it. So it serves almost like this giant mop, this sargassum, right? So it's actually accumulating all of the plastic as it travels around the ocean, influenced by wind and current, the exact same thing that plastic's influenced by. So understanding that that is one place that we really should be focusing on when we talk about plastics in the ocean and why we need to keep it out or figure out ways to remove it. And through this research, I found out that one of the most biologically rich locations on the planet is off our coast. It's just off of Hatteras. And so uh, a couple years ago, we actually worked with another nonprofit who was working on these hope spots around the world, creating these protected areas, not so much by law, but by people. So as we talk about passion and caring, there's so many people that do care about the ocean. Our fishermen care about the ocean. And so it's this area that we need to preserve more than anything, because this is where a lot of our population are going to feed as well as reproduce. And um, so we decided that there was so much story in the North Atlantic that we haven't been talking about. And the fact that if we talk about plastics in the ocean, and including the films that I had mentioned to you, they're all going to talk about plastic in other parts of the world and in the Pacific and Indonesia and those particular areas where there's high concentrations of plastic. And what it gives us is this false sense that this problem is over there. It's not here. So we are now working on a full length documentary and it's called If the Ocean Could Talk. Mm. And we're going yeah, and, and, but it's not gonna be like the heavy, like the other ones, like it's really gonna be fun and, and inspiring. And the person that I was talking today from Duke is Doug Nowachuk. And he um, uses hydrophones to work with the Navy to learn about the impacts of seismic testing as well as sonar. So there's some wonderful research that's happening right off our coast in order to protect the animals in this very area that I'm telling you about. And so we decided that this film was going to be told through the eyes and mouth of a musician. So instead of it being a talking head or someone like me, this is gonna be someone that plays music. And the reason why music is because underneath the surface of the ocean, there's so much music going on that we'll never hear unless somebody shows us. 
and plays that music for us. So we are going to legally, we have to get permits, put this musician out on the open ocean. And he's going to be playing whale songs and his music on the ocean to see if we can get, garner any interaction between marine life and humans. And the reason for that is to put good energy, good sounds, beautiful connections, instead of all this destructive behavior that we have been placing upon the ocean. So while you're watching this documentary, you're gonna see these beautiful interactions with man and, and marine life, but also you're gonna be hearing these sounds these songs that these animals uh, sing, including grouper, who knew that grouper had a song, right? As well as shrimp, right? So you're gonna hear sounds you've never heard before. And then we're gonna be talking about those impacts that humans are putting on them. And then more importantly, who are the companies that are really trying to make a profit and make a difference? Who's trying to tread lightly on this planet to educate people that those are the ones we should be supporting. These are the businesses that each and every one of us should be spending our money in contributing to in order to reduce our impacts on the planet. And, uh, and the real take home is going to be the importance of buying local. Like that's really where we can mitigate so many of these problems of the overproduction of plastic because everything has to be packaged. Whenever we order something from China, think of the carbon footprint that's being released into the air, the ship strike. So many of our whales and turtles and dolphins are struck by these giant ships that more and more of them are transporting goods across our country or across the ocean and across our country they don't need to be. So if we were to buy more stuff locally, that means it's going to be transported locally. That means a lot of it's gonna be produced locally and therefore it doesn't require the packaging. Right. And when we do that, that money stays in your community longer than say buying from Walmart or buying online from Amazon. So there's so many things we can teach people about doing things the right way. And it's gonna feel so good. It's gonna be a really feel good movie by the time we're done. So there's, there's um, I know I've like seen a couple of articles online about some folks who have invented some things that may clean up the ocean. Um, there was something I think like a young man created that would kind of go in and just kind of sweep up the plastic um, are any of those like doing viable work? Uh, so the one you're talking about is Boyan's Flat. Boyan's okay. Flat is the uh, ocean cleanup project. And um, so there's a lot of pushback from most nonprofits thinking that that's just horrible. It's putting the solution on the back end of the problem. So um, back in 2009, when I was uh, sailing across the North Pacific, we were having these wonderful talks, right? Because there are 30 days at sea, there's only six of us. And one of the things that I had mentioned was that, you know, we really have to shut the tap, right? So if there's a, if it's a bathtub and it's full of water and it's now spilling over the sides, do you clean up the water while it, the faucet's still running or do you shut the faucet and then clean up the mess, right? So a lot, of, a lot of people have taken on to that idea that we really shouldn't put the focus on the back end, the cleanup side of it. 
I actually helped Boyan with his uh, feasibility study when he first started this. And he's received hundreds, I mean, I don't say hundreds, but millions of dollars. I think the last time I checked, he was up to something like $42 million. It's because that's what people want to see. And I can't blame people for wanting to see that happen. Um, it was a great experiment. It, it was somewhat successful, but my advice to him was to bring it closer to shore. Don't put it out in the middle of the ocean, right? Try to put it where there's mouths of rivers, where you can capture it before it gets out into the middle of the gyre system. The ocean will clean up itself. These plastics that you're seeing in this image behind me, those are plastics that were in the middle of the ocean that broke up into small pieces then washed up on a beach in Hawaii. So the ocean does clean itself out. So we, what we need to focus on is, is the devices like that that are you know, catching debris that's in our rivers and ending up in the ocean. And then also coming up with uh, ways to take our products and turn it into something valuable. Right, so when we talk about um, the bottle bill, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but in uh, 10 states in this country, you pay a nickel for a bottle, a plastic bo glass can or plastic, and then you return it and you get your nickel back, right? So that's a return system where it has value. That item now is worth a nickel. You won't find any of them on the ground because poor people will go out and pick them up. It's free money. So putting value to things will reduce the ability or the chance of it ending up in the environment. So yeah. there's a lot of systems that have to be put into place. And some of them have already been started like the bottle bill. So like yeah, and, and then the, another really good example it's not just a system, but I don't know if you've heard um, of Four Oceans. So they have these bracelets and you pay $25 for this bracelet. And then it's supposedly made out of all recycled material. And then they take that money and they go to different parts of the world where there's a high concentration of this problem. And they're getting people to pick up trash. So they have removed hundreds of tons of trash by just getting people engaged in cleaning up this problem. This is not a not-for-profit. They're a for-profit business model where they figured out a way to sell something and clean up the environment. And so there's plenty of opportunities for us to get creative like that. You know, I think yeah. this is genius right oh, there's time there's time yeah yeah there's i mean the whole thing is, is like we have all of the like today we have everything that we need to everything we need solve every problem on this planet if we actually wanted to That's right. so let me ask you a question how can um people get involved with the plastic ocean project? oh there's so many ways uh, so check out our website. It's www.plasticoceanproject.org. And you'll see, we, we work on so many different aspects of this problem. Another one is trees for trash. For every 25 pounds of trash we remove, we plant one tree. Last year, we planted 1,500 trees. So um, do people have to be local to get involved with POP? Uh, no, they do not. In fact, we have ambassadors all over the world. So these are people that become Plastic Ocean Project ambassadors, and then they come up with a project in their community. 
in order to help solve some of these problems. So we give them a platform for them to share their work and then drive people to our website in order to share what they can do to get involved. So yes, we, we work with everyone. So our motto is education through research and we do extensive research. We were just on a NOAA grant, right? So a quarter of a million dollar grant in order to study um, plastics and the way it works its way up the food web and the chemicals associated with that. And then uh, the second part is outreach through art. And that that's how we bring in the trash and show and the artwork that can communicate with people about this problem on a totally different level. You know, the arts are so important to everything that we do. And it's a great way to get people involved. In fact, I just sent you a video about the virus and a, a beautiful way a man explains what is happening to his children. It's priceless. And then the third third part of it is outreach, no, outreach through art and solutions through collaboration. So that collaboration is our ocean-friendly establishments that we work with uh, around, actually across the country. And then um, also working with companies. There's a company that turns plastics into fuel. So what we're figuring out if that is a viable way to go. And then also this film project, which is going to take an enormous amount of funding to complete. But this is such a timely story and it's, it's going to be next level. I guarantee you that it's going to be a feel good story about some really horrible things that are happening to the ocean. So in the end, people are going to really understand that we're the solution. We can't point to our government. We can't point to other people and you know, shaming other people is just not getting us anywhere. It's really all of us deciding that we are going to be the change we wanna see in the world. And that's really what's gotten me where I am today. I have a, uh, a bracelet on that my friend made for me and she asked me what I wanted to put on and I couldn't figure out what it was until I was talking to one of my volunteers and she said, you know, if not me, then who? And so, yeah, that's my bracelet. If not me, then who? And we all need to take that position moving forward and we'll, we're going to get around these problems and we're going to just have uh, such a better future partly because of this pandemic is making us realize the things that are really important. Yeah. Like the fact that we're talking to you right now and we're sharing, we're sharing our stories and you're giving us a platform for people to really start figuring out what does matter to you. And when you figure that out, go for it. Just yeah. go for it. Yeah, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but I can promise you it's the greatest gift. And you will never look back and say, I wish I would have. You'll be able to say, "Yeah, I think I, I think I did all right," because I followed my heart, not my head. Because <laughs> it's crazy to go after one of the biggest problems in the world—plastic in the ocean, right? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I think that that's what when you connect with your person. I'll start over. I think that when you connect with your purpose. It doesn't matter how big of a problem it is. It doesn't matter like what you've got coming against you. It doesn't matter because like it's the, it's the hunger that you can kind of never feel because it's, you know, and it never makes you tired and it never like 
wears you out. Not that, not that it's, you know, all fun and games all the time, but it's just, you've got never ending amounts of energy for it because you've connected into something that, that feeds your soul. And so it's so much greater and so much, so much deeper than any job or career or anything out there. So it just doesn't matter how big of a, of a mountain it is that you're climbing, you know? So I want to go ahead and um, kind of wrap up here. We have our closeout questions for you. So it's, it's a lightning round. We got four round. questions. <laughs> um, okay, number one. What is the one habit you can't live without? Honey in my coffee. <laughs> I've got to have honey in my coffee. That is one thing. Um, so I may have to start a bee, bee colony. I don't know because the way things are going. But, you know, yeah, why not? Right? Honey in your coffee. Okay. Number two, what does spirituality mean to you? Oh, spirituality is really what plastic ocean project brought me back to my spirituality <laughs> um, i will tell you i used to be a workout nut i did many triads i was always so obsessed with my hair and what i look like and announced that i might have gained and and it was through plastic ocean project that i found my spirituality to care about things bigger than myself is really where I found my spirituality and it it's made me a better person. I love that. I love that. What is your advice to anyone who's looking to find purpose? So as I had mentioned, my mother making some weird comment when I was 12 and it really didn't surface until I was 47. Don't always try to find it. It'll come to you if you open your mind to it. So pay attention to what's going on around you. And that thing will jump out at you. And once you know it, like how I knew it, then just keep going. Keep researching it. And most important, you got to step outside your comfort zone. I had no business doing research. Remember my background was in communications, minor in journalism, and now I'm doing research. And that's because I had to step way outside my comfort zone to travel 10,000 nautical miles when I've never sailed in my life. That's what it means. You have to sometimes step really big steps, but go <laughs> for it. Go for it. You will not regret it. And there'll be, there'll be times when you'll kick yourself because things didn't work out perfect, but don't keep looking at it. Keep looking forward. Don't look back. Yes. I'll preach, Bonnie, preach. Um, <laughs> okay. And then final question here, where can people connect with you online? Yeah. So we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and our website, but we do have a way for you to reach out and ask us questions, or if you wanna get involved, we also have an, a way for you to become a member through our website. And yeah, we've brought in a lot of people that have started their own projects through Plastic Ocean Project. So reach out, we'll help you find your way. Awesome. Well, I, and I will make sure to put all of the links in the show notes. Um, so this wraps it up. Thank you so much for being a guest and sharing your story, Bonnie. Thank you, Anna. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>
doing what you're doing because I think you can inspire a lot of people to take it next level. So, well, stories like yours that bring it all to life. Absolutely. Okay, folks. So now I want to hear from you. How will you make less plastic in your home a priority? Share your ideas over at Instagram at Soul Driven Podcast on today's post. Use the hashtag Soul Driven Podcast or send me an email at souldrivenpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If today's message was helpful, please leave me an iTunes review and share it with those you love. Don't forget to sign up for the email list. I've got goodies on the way and they're only going to be sent out to my email list community. All links from today's show will be found in the show notes. <laughs> I'm losing it here. And don't forget, when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. Have a great day.